and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Childhood. My name is Steph. And I'm Lex. And we are a weekly podcast where we revisit our childhood favorite movies and video games to see if they still hold up as adults. Today, we are revisiting a film starring an absolute Hollywood legend. We'll give you a few hints. Mushu, Donkey, The Haunted Mansion, Coming to America, Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> if you haven't figured it out yet, today we are rewatching a film starring the one and only Eddie Murphy. <laughs> That's right. We are reviewing the 1998 film Dr. Doolittle. Ooh. First, we'll get into some behind-the-scenes info and fun facts about the making of this film. Then we get into our review and discuss whether or not this Eddie Murphy classic still holds up 24 years after its release. So Dr. Doolittle is an American fantasy comedy film based on the series of children's books by Hugh Lofting, created in 1920. The 1998 film adaptation was directed by Betty Thomas, written by Larry Levin and Nat Malden, and distributed by 20th Century Fox. Dr. Doolittle stars Eddie Murphy in the titular role, Ossie Davis, Oliver Platt, Peter Boyle, Kristen Wilson, Raven Simone, Kyla Pratt, Jeffrey Tambor, and more. So after its release, Dr. Doolittle received mixed reviews from critics, but was considered a box office success, earning $294.4 million on a $71.5 million budget. The success from Dr. Doolittle generated one theatrical sequel, Dr. Doolittle 2 from 2001, and three films released direct-to-video, Dr. Doolittle 3 in 2006, Dr. Doolittle, Tale to the Chief in 2008, and Dr. Doolittle, Million Dollar Mutts in 2009. And in 2020, the film received a reboot starring Robert Downey Jr. called Doolittle. So if you haven't seen this film since 1998 or have never had the pleasure of seeing a doctor have the most convenient superpower ever, here's a plot summary written by an anonymous author on a very new website that we just discovered called Google. After a fender bender, Dr. John Doolittle, played by Eddie Murphy, gets back his childhood ability to converse with animals, but the gift turns out to be a mixed blessing when the good doctor finds himself besieged by boozing monkeys, injured owls, and depressed lions who need his special assistance. And depressed tigers who need his special assistance. Sorry. I was like, there was not a single lion in this movie. Um, When Doolittle's strange behavior catches the attention of his wife, Lisa, he winds up in a mental institution. Luckily, he has some animal friends to help him out of his hairy situation. Yep. Yep. I guess. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Seems about right. All right, Lex. So let's get into our fun facts. Ooh, okay. So our first fun fact is something that I actually wasn't aware of prior to our review, but the 1998 film wasn't the original Dr. Doolittle movie. 20th Century Fox released the original film in 1967, and actually at one point in this version, Eddie Murphy can be seen watching the original Dr. Doolittle on TV. Oh my gosh, is that what that was? Yeah, I thought that was really cute. That was so clever. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. All right. Well, my first fun fact is that Albert Brooks voices Jake the Tiger, and Ellen DeGeneres voices the dog that John owned as a child at the beginning of the movie, and those two would later star together in a little-known Pixar film called Finding Nemo, where he (laughs) plays Marlin and she plays Dory, and then, of course, they reprise the roles again in Finding Dory in 2016. That's cute. I like that. Yeah, I kept listening to his voice and I was like, 
why is this so familiar? Like, what right. do I know it from? And then for some reason in my mind, I went to like, so a mollusk. <laughs> the mollusk walks up to the sea cucumber. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so good. I was curious and Googled what animal seen in this movie was the deadliest for humans actually so like that's my next fun fact that apparently on several lists crocodiles were the most deadly um like the baby that hatches at the end i'm not sure if it was a crocodile or an alligator but they're the same thing in my mind (laughs) following up after that domestic dogs and tigers were listed in that order Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, of course, my mind went super morbid. And I was like, look at all these animals in this film. I wonder which one is the deadliest. Because, like, everyone kind of freaked out when they saw the tiger. If you've seen this film, you know what we're talking about. Everyone kind of freaked out every time the tiger was in the room. Right. And I was like, I feel like tigers don't kill that many people. But there also aren't tigers in everyday life. So... Yeah, tigers are extremely deadly. As someone who has watched Tiger King, (laughs) they're not something to joke about, but they're definitely deadly. But I also think, yeah, I'm surprised about domestic dogs. That's interesting. Yeah. Crocodiles freak me out. Crocodiles and alligators are really scary, especially knowing- We've talked about this before, guys. They are savages. They can run and climb things, and I don't like to know that. And now now that I know it, all of you have to know it. Yes, and they have a, I feel like crocodiles and alligators have like a, I give no Fs complex either. Like they don't care, guys. They don't care what you are. They don't care if you're a, a buffalo or a person. Like, it doesn't matter. They're yeah. going after you. They're going to try it. They're going to try. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to F around and you are going to find out. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so this actually provides a nice segue to my last fun fact, which is that awareness of the natural predator prey situations prompted a lot of special attention in this movie. So in scenes where, for example, the owl appears to be in the same area with natural prey, such as rabbits, birds or rats, what have you, the owl is filmed separately for maximum safety. So they did this with a lot of the bigger animals or the prey animals. They'd film them separately from the predator animals to make sure that there was no uh, issue with anybody getting eaten. Yeah, that's really good. So let's get into our rewatch. How much did we see this as kids? I don't think I've ever seen this before. Wow. And I think when we went to watch it, I somehow got it confused with the nutty professor. And so I was imagining that. And then we started it and I was like, this is not what I remembered. So I think I've I've seen the nutty professor. I have not seen this. And I thought that's what this was. Oh, no. But what about you? (laughs) Um, I, I think I saw this maybe like once in my life maybe once um I'm not sure if I like saw this before in my childhood or if I just remember the commercials because I remember a lot about like the monkey (laughs) and um I don't I don't know why I remember the monkey and I remember like him obviously having the ability to talk to animals and I remember the uh the tiger So I'm not sure if I have seen this before or if this was one of those things where I kind of like internalized it from seeing the trailer as a kid. Yeah, I mean, I think that it was part of like a McDonald's Happy Meal thing for a while. I feel like we were inundated with promotions for this movie, but I don't know. Yeah, that we ever really saw it. 
Right. And also, I live for Raven Simone and Kyla Pratt. So let's be real. I would not be surprised if I had seen this before. <laughs> um, but it has been a very long time, guys. So I guess let's just get into our rewatch. What was it like for us to watch this as adults? Ooh. So Chris Rock was the guinea pig. Rodney. <laughs> I thought he was probably one of the more insufferable characters in this movie. Yeah. I'm just going to start with that. Yeah. I usually love everything Chris Rock is in, and I usually am a pretty big fan of his stuff. Yeah. I mean, even his voice acting roles. Yes. Like when he was Marty, Marty in yes. Madagascar. He's so funny. But I don't know. For some reason, I think it was really just the writing and the lines that they gave Rodney. I was like, you're oh, so yeah. annoying. It was so obnoxious. It was very, um, it was hard to watch scenes with him in them because it was like the jokes weren't funny. And I don't know, if, I don't know about you, but it felt like the jokes had nothing to do with what was going on in the scene. Yeah. Like there was one part where he made like sexual jokes and it was relevant, but there were other parts where he was just making jokes and I was like, did they just let him like go off the cuff or like did they let him like was there a script to this because it didn't seem like it fit in anywhere with what was going on in the movie it just felt more like they were kind of going we have chris rock all right just say things right. and we're just gonna put it in the movie <laughs> exactly exactly they pulled like an opposite of what they did with genie yeah, and Aladdin. yeah. they were like let's use all the good stuff and like let's throw away 16 hours worth of other good stuff but in this one it felt like they were like all right we have five minutes come up with what you can and then we'll use that I'm also like don't waste Chris Rock's time <laughs> don't waste his yeah. time the man is too talented for this right <laughs> and they had so many big names in this yeah. movie like so many big names they had so many people do voiceovers for animals in this movie like they had Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah. I was shocked that they didn't utilize those people more. Yeah. Like, because Gilbert Gottfried came in and he was in for like two seconds. Two seconds. Ellen DeGeneres was in. She was in for two seconds. Like, it was kind of, it was kind of crazy to me that they didn't make more of an effort to, like, keep the big name people in the movie. It just, it kind of seemed weird. I mean, it was kind of nice because it was like, oh, my God, that's that person. And like, it was just like a quick second of like, oh, yeah. my God, like that's that person's voice. But yeah, it was interesting. I mean, John Leguizamo was one of the rats and he popped up a couple yeah. of times, which I was happy to have him keep coming back. We love John. Yes, we love you, John. Um, and then Marge Simpson was one of the pigeons. She was. You know, what's really funny, though? What? You know, you know her as Marge Simpson. Yeah. I remember her voice. As being Timon's mom in Lion King one and a half. Stop. <laughs> okay, we are very different. <laughs> very different experiences here. It's a very underrated movie, guys. But that's where I recognize her from. When she's like, Timon, where are you going? Oh Come back to your mother. <laughs> so good. I could only hear her doing like, the kids, could you lighten up a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and on the other hand, I'm over here, like, I can only see her being like, you told my son a metaphor? You can't tell my son a metaphor? <laughs> I'm dead. That just unearthed a memory in me. <laughs> just shows how good my memory is, guys. I don't even know. I don't know if that shows how good my memory is or how crazy I am. I feel like, do you remember that SpongeBob episode where he has, like, the file cabinet and he just... <laughs> 
looking for this Krabby Patty secret recipe. That's and how he's just I burning feel. everything down and emptying all yes. the cabinets. <laughs> that's how I feel, guys. Constantly. Um, I, for one, I had no idea this film was PG-13. I always assumed it was rated G. Yeah, I was shocked. They were cursing. They were making innuendos. I was like, this is they not were. what I was expecting. They went ham, no pun intended. Like, they were, they went hard. Yeah, they did. And I was shocked. I really liked Eddie Murphy in this role. I really did. Yeah. I really, really liked it. Because Eddie Murphy is always kind of like a silly character. You know, he's always silly. He's always getting a laugh. And in this, he was, but he was like, it was funny because he was trying, he was a serious guy who was trying not to be funny. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever seen Eddie Murphy really in a role where he wasn't, I guess that's that's not true because in Dream Girls he's pretty serious. But like I, yeah. I don't know. I just I wasn't familiar with seeing him in a role where he has to be like a dad and a husband and a doctor and like kind of serious. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I know most comedy actors are actually brilliant dramatic actors, but I I just like yeah. really loved him in this. I agree, and I think the the part that really stuck out to me was the part where he was kind of ignoring his daughter, like Kyra Pratt. Kyla Pratt's character Maya right um like when she was in her room she was like talk to my hamster and he was like I will not talk to your hamster and then he goes and he tries to fix his tie and stuff and he overhears his dad saying like sometimes it's not your problem sometimes it's the dad that needs to change and you see like Eddie Murphy's character get emotional and I was like that really stuck out to me because I thought that was a very good moment in the movie first of all um, yeah. like a very good learn learning moment for him, but then a very good acting moment. Like he didn't have to say anything, but you could just read his face and like you could tell that that impacted him. He was just so believable as her dad. Yeah. And he was so believable yeah. as a husband and as a doctor. I completely agree. And I thought that he was like really good in this movie. In fact, he probably like saved this movie from like, yeah. complete an utter like bankruptcy I feel like if he wasn't in the main role it probably would have bombed yeah I agree with that I think he really was integral to keeping this movie on track (laughs) right and making it so enjoyable yeah I totally agree with that yeah the one part where he was like sitting in the I think he was sitting in the vet's office and all the dogs were like talking around him and he was the one dog was getting pulled away and then the other dog was like the lady was yelling at him and he she was like he's deaf why isn't he like listening to me and she's like screaming at the dog he's like I don't care I don't want to hear you <laughs> that part reminded me so much of the secret life of pets have you ever seen that I have not and everyone keeps telling me to watch it and that they love it and I have <laughs> never seen it <laughs> Oh my gosh. So I think it's the second Secret Life of Pets movie where they're just like, they're in the vet waiting room and there's a cat and he's like, my Ona thinks I have a problem. I don't have a problem. She has a problem. What are you looking at, woman? And he starts like attacking his owner. It's the funniest thing. But uh, yeah, it just reminded me of that. I was like, this is so funny. I wonder if this inspired that moment. Oh, that's so funny. I like that trope, though. I like the trope of, like, the owner who, like, doesn't understand what's going on with their pet, and their pet's just right. like, I'm so sick of you. Because <laughs> I feel like right. so many dogs and cats, like my own cat, she is like that yes. constantly, where it's like, you're not listening to me, or like, or you're not going to look at me, and it's like, oh, she can hear me. She's just selectively hearing me. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. My dog, sometimes my dog acts like 
he has no idea who I am. Like he literally has the meanest side eye. Every time I'm like, Gunner, come here. And he doesn't want to come. He just like gives me the meanest side eye. I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> this is what we're doing? All right. They truly are like teenagers. <laughs> they are. Um, But yeah, so... I thought that little Rottweiler puppy was the cutest thing I've ever seen. It was and the so fact that Dr. Cute. Doolittle was like, get out, get out, you like, and like yelling at it and stuff to get out. I was like, oh my gosh, you monster. I know. And I was like, how hard was that scene for him to film? Like where you have to just yell at a puppy. <laughs> like, I know. Make it like sad. I was, I was like, I could not have done it. Could not have been me. <laughs> yes. That is the only part that I was like, okay, this guy, there's something wrong with this guy. But every other part, I loved him. The part where he yelled at the little puppy that still had its like baby fat. I was like, oh, I need a puppy. (laughs) It just like awoke something in me. I was like, oh, I need a puppy. She's like, I'm going to the shelter right now. (laughs) Right. It just takes over my body. I just like blindly start walking towards my door. (laughs) Yeah, my car. I've been hypnotized, guys. But yeah, I thought that the part with the thermometer, like, okay, you guys, so much of this movie, I feel like, was graphic for no reason. (laughs) It really was. Do you agree? Because I was like... They put in a lot of, like, raunchy little jokes. Yeah. That one I totally get because he kind of, lucky the dog swindled him into taking him to the vet and, like, getting him checked out. Right. Really played on his, like good nature and wanting to be a good person which I personally loved Lucky the dog I think he was my other favorite character I thought that I his, thought he was cute his well his jokes all hit you know like all yeah. of his jokes made sense they were funny and all of them just hit the right beats for me so I, I really liked his yeah. his little role but yeah that was a very raunchy scene <laughs> Not even just that part. I mean, like, visually, there were a few oh, scenes yeah, that, yeah. Like, went too far. Like, with Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Parkus, I think her name was, the lady who was allergic to shellfish, but oh, insisted yeah. on eating shellfish at every Oh, and meal. they showed her butt? Yeah. I was like, why are you showing her butt? And then the end, when the pigeons pooped in the guy's mouth, I was like, oh, I can't even. I, can't, I could not watch it. I was like, this is disgusting. Yeah. I think I had to keep reminding myself that this was a PG-13 movie, which is on the same level as a lot of more raunchy, more gross movies that I think we've seen, especially like the scary movies is immediately what I think of. Just things that are like supposed to be for a bit more of a mature audience. So those things are a a lot, I think, for children, but considering how it's rated for people over 13. Yeah. Because I was like, I'm going to vomit. Yeah, the butt scene was a lot for me. I thought she was a funny character, but the butt, like, I didn't need that part. Like, it could have just been, like, his face being like, "Ah, again, (laughs) did not need the rest of that. (laughs) Right. Or even have her gown, like, covering her butt. But they, like, showed her butt with the the side of it. Yeah. Yeah. With the, like, uh, rash on it and everything. I was like, oh, we don't need to see that. Also, like, Um, what was her deal? She was like... (laughs) She kept eating shellfish, and then the second time she came in, she's like, "Well, I took it out of the shell." I cannot. Her her. last scene, she's like in a bathroom stall with a giant crab. She pulls out of her purse and begins to eat raw. I'm like, ma'am. First of all, I was like, "Why was she there?" Like, yeah, what were you doing there? Why were you even in the hospital? Like. 
first of all, guys, she shows up, like Steph said, she shows up the first time. Okay. Second time, you have a problem. (laughs) Third time, she is in the hospital prematurely eating shellfish. Purposely. It's like she's, she's intentionally eating it, even though she knows that it puts her like in a massive allergic reaction and she's like right. just chomping down and I'm like you really need shellfish that badly <laughs> it's ridiculous I was like oh my gosh like she pulled out a full crab we don't even it was know if a that whole thing was cooked crab I mean I think it was orange so it probably was but still I'm like that's a whole animal like it was the size of her purse like yeah it was big and we come from crab land we come from a crab state we know a big right. crab <laughs> You know what would have been really funny, though? What? If there was a, like, they were at a restaurant or something, and there was a crab tank, and she's just, like, sitting next to it, like, just staring at it the entire time. Like, I kind (laughs) of wish there was a moment where Dr. Doolittle, like, talked to a crab. That would have been so funny. Yeah, Yeah, he doesn't really talk to any, like, ocean animals in this. There's, like, no fish, no any of that. That would have been funny. Right. I, I would have liked a scene of him and the dog like running through a grocery store and she's like trying to buy a crab. Or, like, she's in the seafood She's section. like in the seafood section. He's like, don't do it. <laughs> don't you do it. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, but yeah, if you could have any of the animals in this film as a sidekick, who would you choose? Or as a pet, I guess, too. Ooh. Um, well, I like, like I said, I like Lucky the dog, but I don't know that I necessarily choose him because I think I'd be like, okay, you're funny. We get it. Right. You're like, I need the spotlight. Oh, I can't. I really <laughs> like that baby alligator at the end. Like alligators are so scary, but I thought he was so cute. It's gonna grow stuff. I know, but he's cute. Then what? <laughs> he could be my sidekick. <laughs> <sighs> you're right. I didn't, I didn't specify the roles. You're right. <laughs> What would you choose? Of this hypothetical game. You I can't, didn't you can't impose the rules after you've asked the question. <laughs> it's out there. I would choose the drunken French monkey just because he seemed oh, like a good, a good time. one. I loved him. I would also choose Jake the tiger. I really liked him. And I just love cats. Oh, I loved Jake. His little face when he was like, why do you want to help me? And his eyes got so sad. I was like, I just want to give him a hug. Yeah, I like Jake the Tiger. He was cute. I would I would pick him if yeah. I didn't pick Mr. Alligator. Honestly, Mrs. Doolittle, I feel like when she came in at the end um, and she was in the hospital gear when Jake was uh, in surgery and she comes in in like the full um, garb and stuff like that and she's like helping out and she grabs the tiger's paw. I feel like it was one of those things where she was like, well, there's a tiger here. Let me just go pet it real quick. Like, I feel like that's something I would do. Yeah, girl mood. <laughs> Me right. just entering the OR with no experience, just holding the tiger's paw. <laughs> it's like the the true version of people who are saying like I'm just supervi- supervising, like I'm just yeah. managerial material, like it's it's what I do. I'm just here yeah. to supervise. I'm just here to pet the cat. Like just let me right. be. <laughs> Like when I, whenever people are moving stuff or whatever, I'm like, I'm just supervising. Yeah, I'm just a supervisor. (laughs) That takes that to a whole other level. And I don't blame her. I'm trying to think, like, I really didn't take many notes on this movie just because I feel like it it was really cute, but there was just like, I don't know. I, I would have liked to have seen repeating characters more. Like, I loved the rats. I thought the rats were hilarious. They were so good. 
They were really funny. Like at the end when they're just roasting Dr. Doolittle and he's like, hey, I saved your life. And he, and the one rat goes, you want gratitude? Get a hamster. Like, it's just, <laughs> it was so stupid, but I loved it so much. I loved Oliver Platt as mm-hmm. the like money hungry friend. I really thought that, I think I was kind of sad yeah. because I really thought that at the end, he like Jean would come through and just be like, Oh, fine. The money. And then just like, you know, they would all like operate together and be friends and like support each other. And instead he ended up still being like this money grubby, not a good person, just total backstabber. And I mean, it's funny. Like he played the the part well, he was hilarious, Mm -hmm. but I was just kind of like, oh, I really wanted him to like give up the money and be like, my friend is more important. And then be like, what matters more to you? Like saving people and being a good doctor or like all, you know, this money, this contract. Yeah. And just for him to like, even if it was reluctantly to just still help them and like be part of that. So I think I was a little sad about that, that he just kind of was like a bad friend (laughs) at the end. Right. And he had no redeeming qualities or anything. Yeah. Yeah, he was just funny. Like, congrats. So is everyone else in the movie. (laughs) Right. I also didn't really understand what the whole idea was behind them, like, selling the place or something. Like, the guy... The guy that came in, he was supposed to be... It's funny, because I only really know this actor from, like, the Santa Claus movie. Um, I don't even know his name, but... (laughs) Oh, from from Everybody Loves Raymond. Sure. (laughs) so (laughs) it's peter boyle yeah so peter boyle when he shows up and he's like um we're gonna buy this place or something and then they're trying to get money from him obviously and that's the whole reason that um it's like a huge thing at the end that dr doolittle saves the tiger because he's like you know what i just want to help people i don't want money and i was like what like I need more of an explanation. I need to know what's going on behind the scenes because, like, I might be on the side of the money. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I think, so, if I'm understanding correctly, they're trying to sell the practice to a larger company that has a lot of money. And so, Mm. if that company owns them, they own the practice. See, I thought they already worked at a hospital. It seems like they they own their own clinic. And so, they are basically trying to sell the clinic and the practice and the doctors inside of it, you know, themselves to basically be overseen by this probably like some type of physician management corporation. And so his wife doesn't want him to sell because it's kind of like he's selling out to this corporation, but his one doctor friend, um, by played by Oliver Pratt does want to sell because he wants the money. He wants the corporate cars. He wants this nice life. And so they, they kind of talk about the merger in one of the deals where they're like, we're going to lay off some staff, which is a big thing that happens when you get acquired. They tend to lay off some of your staff and get rid of them. Yeah. Bring in their own staff or cheaper staff or what have you. So yeah, it seems like it was basically a moral dilemma of like, oh, I'm going to sell my practice. I'm going to make the money. I'm going to get where I want to get. And then I think at the end, it's very much him realizing I wanted to be a doctor to help people. And I really don't care about the money. And you're kind of going to get rid of all the good things that I like about my practice. Right. Like, come on, Oliver Platt, get with it. Join the, join the good, the good cause. (laughs) Thank you, Steph, for explaining that to me, because that is a part of the plot that just went like right over my head. I was like, (laughs) I, I get it. This guy's a bad guy, blah, blah, blah. I feel like it was part of like the Peanuts cartoons when it's like, wah, 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 wah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it, I thought the movie overall was cute. 
Um, I did think it was funny at the end how um, the dog was like, so now you're going to treat people and animals? I was like, you can't just decide to be like a vet overnight. Like you kind of have to get like certified and stuff, right? Like you have to go to school for that. Yeah. I was like operating on animals and people is actually very different. <laughs> it's actually, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's like as funny as Jeffrey Tambor's character was as the vet who thinks he knows oh everything gosh. about anything. He was hilarious, but he is kind of right that it is actually a little different. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's fundamentals that are the same, but animal physiology is different than human physiology. And I feel like you can't just like decide to be a vet. Yeah. See, and that's another one of the like characters that I wish we had seen more. I was like, we only saw him twice. I wanted to see him the entire time. I love when he called him and he was like, oh my gosh, your cat, your book about like the anatomy of cats. I sleep with it by my bedside. It's like my Bible. (laughs) And Jeffrey Tambor's character goes, well, your Bible, like I, well, I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I would consider it a Bible. (laughs) Dying. It was like, he was like, please stop, stop. Keep it coming. Stop, but go on. (laughs) Tell me how great I am. I loved it. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. I would have loved to have seen him more. I will say the 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 main issue that I had with this movie is that I really wish we would have seen Maya have the same abilities as her dad in this movie because yes as you guys know the franchise goes on and I'm not sure if they knew it was going to be a franchise at this point so that's probably why but you can leave it open you can always leave yeah. it open for that you know like it could just be like at the very end she realizes she could talk to the alligator and right. then It's like it leaves the door open and it's a funny little ending and makes them more connected. Or honestly, even if they had Raven's character be the one who could suddenly talk to animals and now she's weird too. And it's like all of them are like little nerds. And I just, yeah, I would have loved something like that. And like you said, that would have been so cute if like with the alligator or crocodile hatching at the end, because even the whole time she was like, when when it hatches, the first thing it's gonna see, it's gonna attach itself to and think it's its it's its mama. So that would have been so cute if at the end the alligator hatched and it was like, Are you my mama? And she was just like, Yeah. <gasps> and then it just ends with her face like, Oh my gosh. And then it cuts to black. Like, come on. Yes, that's perfect. I would have loved that. Because honestly, I I loved that they had her kind of be the outcast in the movie and they were like, yeah, she's kind of, she kept describing herself as weird and she was like, I don't really fit into the kids at camp and um, she was having real issues like fitting in with kids her age and I kind of wish that it would have been more relatable for her to like relate to her dad and have her have the same abilities as him but she doesn't want to admit it because she doesn't want to seem as like weird as her dad is and stuff like that like I thought that would have been really cute or I don't know I just I wanted more of a connection between her and her dad the entire time but who knows yeah yeah I agree I mean you see them interact a bit throughout the movie and he's very much putting down her ideas and telling her she's silly and kind of brushing her off but yeah I didn't feel like we really got the sense because when she had the conversation with her grandfather and she's like, I just feel like my dad doesn't love me. I think he likes me, but I don't think he loves me or what have you. And just like that whole conversation with her grandfather. And I get it. He has been pushing her to the side throughout the movie, but you didn't really get 
that much of a reaction, I think. Like, we didn't get many reaction shots of her. She was just kind of in the background, like, okay, or what have you. And it just, there wasn't quite the enough, I felt like, build up for that sort of interaction with the grandfather. Because then I was like, oh, like, I felt a little blindsided. Like, oh, okay. If anything, I think your sister is more ignored. She was told to hold her pee and she couldn't even go to the bathroom. Like, (laughs) but I, yeah, I was just surprised. And so, I mean, it, it, set up a very cute moment for them in the car later but yeah I don't know I just I wished for more I guess reactions of hers and more reactions between the two of them where I could like feel that that whole thing where she feels dejected you know yeah I I definitely wish we had seen more development of her character because as I said before I loved the parallels between um how her dad was treating her and how his dad treated him um I thought that was right that was well done and how the grandpa was the one that was like well sometimes it's the dads that need to change and stuff like that I thought that was really cute um yeah but at the same time we didn't see any kids be mean to her we didn't see any of her not fitting in it was just kind of like one of those things where it was like she's at camp she's scared to go to camp oh now she's home but we didn't see any of her not fitting in we didn't see any of the kids being mean to her which like of course I don't want to see kids being mean to the adorable Kyla Pratt when she was younger but like I thought that that would have been much better for her character development and it would have made that moment more special when her dad admits that he's wrong you know or like apologizes to her yeah I also would have liked a scene between him and his dad with him being an adult and being able to talk to animals and the dad being like, yeah, I knew this whole time. And for them to get that closure, because I feel like he just talked to, uh, to Dr. Doolittle's wife and was like, yeah, I knew he could do this. And I thought it was a hindrance, but it's not. And I'm like, you need to be having this conversation with your son and not his wife because he needs to hear this from you. Yes. (laughs) And in that moment, I was like, how great would it have been if he was having that conversation with Dr. Doolittle's wife and she was like how do you know he can talk to animals and he was like it runs in the family like something like that like he had the same ability yes if he's like I can too guys we really just want a lineage we want a lineage of animal whisperers or like (laughs) even then what if he was the one that scrubbed up and like was talking to the tiger you know what I mean like yes. trying to keep him oh my god that would have been so cool you guys you know what we're just gonna rewrite Let us this write whole the movie, movie. <laughs> <We're> just... <laughs> Eddie Murphy I hope you're not busy because it's coming back okay yeah. it's coming back around <laughs> <laughs> we are finding this script online we're gonna get our highlighters out our red pens out we're gonna make some adjustments okay we'll make some adjustments <laughs> everyone's like shut up the movie's already made like (laughs) get over it um but yeah I thought that this movie was cute I don't know if it's a movie that I would turn to again like when I don't know what I'm gonna watch it just yeah but I I still liked it you know it's it was I feel like I'm so conflicted about it yeah it's like I'm happy I watched it I thought it was cute I don't know that it's something I will go out of my way to watch again. It's super cute, super reminiscent of the time. Very funny. Glad to hear all these voice actors doing their part. But I don't think it's something that I'm going to go and be like, oh my God, I have to watch Dr. Doolittle. Or like my friends come over and I go, oh my God, do you guys want to watch Dr. Doolittle? Right. Like it's not, 
I love Eddie Murphy and I love what he did with this character, but it's not my top like three movies of his, you know, like it's not, it's not up there, but yeah, it's definitely, it, it was something. It was something guys. It was, I feel like if you haven't seen this movie since you were younger though, it is probably good to rewatch just to like feel nostalgic about it. But Maybe that's why we didn't gravitate towards it that much because it's not really nostalgic to us. But I mean, True. I thought it was cute. Definitely cute. It's got a lot of cute little hallmarks of the time. A lot of the outfits and the cars and the furniture. It's just like yeah. takes you back to 1998. <laughs> like you guys, at one point, Dr. Doolittle's wife talks about paging him. Yeah. Like, yeah. What? And he said he's going to get Come her a sports now. car. And it's like the most yes. late 90s sports car you can imagine. Right. <laughs> All right, Lex, do we want to get into our critic ratings? Yes, I do. So for critic ratings, the 1998 film Dr. Doolittle received 5.4 out of 10 on IMDb, a grueling 42% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes, an insanely bad 34% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, but three out of five stars on Common Sense Media. Those ratings are all over the place. Yeah. That's interesting. That was that was a wild ride, guys. That was like I feel like that was just a roller coaster of critic ratings. That is that's yeah. something. That's something. All right. Well, now <laughs> for our ratings, we can rate Doctor Doolittle on a scale from A plus to F minus. A plus meaning this film was so much fun to revisit. It's one of my favorite Eddie Murphy roles, and this movie makes me wish I could talk to animals. <laughs> F minus meaning this movie is pure '90s cringe. It's insanely painful to watch, and I will definitely not be revisiting this anytime soon. Based on this rating scale, Lex, how would you rate the 1998 film Doctor Doolittle? As much as I wish I could talk to animals, (laughs) I will say, for me, this movie was average at best. Um, It's not something I would turn to again, so I'm going to give it a C-. minus. I liked it, but it just, it didn't do enough for me, and there were all, I feel like there was a lot that was missed, and um, yeah, like I said, it, it was average in my opinion. What about you? Yeah, I would give this a C plus. Like I said, I liked it a lot. Not necessarily something I would go out of my way to rewatch, but it was cute. It was fun. Eddie Murphy's hilarious. All the voice actors are hilarious. It's just not, I guess it missed the mark for me because it's not from my childhood, but I really thought it was cute. Yeah. So that being said, be sure to check us out on Instagram at Chasing Childhood Podcast and on Facebook at Just Chasing Childhood. Follow us to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and announcements. Also, make sure to give us a rating on whatever listening platform you're using to tune in on. We appreciate any and all feedback. We also accept requests. So if you want us to review a movie from your childhood or something that you have been waiting to hear us say, send us a message. And if you absolutely hate our rating and you think that we're completely wrong, hit us up. We want to hear your opinions. Yeah, for sure. So next week, we are going to be re-watching one of my top three Cinderella adaptations, 1997's Cinderella film starring Brandy and the amazing Whitney Houston. Yes! I can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm so, <laughs> so pumped. I'm so excited. If you guys can't tell, when we were kids, we loved this version of Cinderella, so we're going to be so pumped. Oh my gosh, you guys, there's no fairy godmother like Whitney Houston. No one can be Whitney. 
We will get into it, guys, but she did not have to snap the way that she did in this movie. We will get into it next week. (laughs) Be there, be square. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.